Our Old Testament lesson this morning comes from Exodus chapter 33. And uh, in Exodus 33, you might, you might remember where this comes in the story of God and his people. This is in, uh, in that same time period where God has brought the Israelites out of slavery in Egypt, and he's brought them uh, across the Red Sea. He's brought them to Mount Sinai, and they get to Mount Sinai, and uh, they say, oh, yes, everything you do, we're going to say, or everything you say, we're going to do. I got that backwards. And they got some things backwards, too, <laughs> because as soon as Moses goes back up the mountain, they immediately uh, start, well, I don't know what's taking him so long. We'll tell you what, give me your uh, earrings, etc., and we'll just melt those down, turn them into gold calf, bow down to that as though it's God that brought us out of Egypt, and that'll be great. Not great. At the same time this is going on down below, one of the things that's going on up above is Moses on the mountain having a conversation with God. That is what we're going to be uh, reading about in Exodus chapter 33. Uh, this conversation with um, Moses and the Lord. Before we read, let us pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you again for this day, and we thank you for your word that you've given to us. Lord, we ask this morning that you would help us as we read, as we hear your word read and proclaimed. Uh, we pray that you'd help us to pay attention. Help us to pay attention uh, to what you have said. Help us to pay attention to what you are saying. Help us to pay attention to who you are, what you have done, and what you are doing. Lord, help us to pay attention to what you have promised that you will do. We pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. Exodus chapter 33, starting in verse 12 and going to the end of the chapter. Moses said to the Lord, You have been telling me, lead these people, but you have not let me know whom you will send with me. You have said, I know you by name, and you have found favor with me. If you are pleased with me, teach me your ways, so I may know you and continue to find favor with you. Remember that this nation is your people. The Lord replied, My presence will go with you, and I will give you rest. Then Moses said to him, If your presence does not go with us, do not send us up from here. How will anyone know that you are pleased with me and with your people unless you go with us? What else will distinguish me and your people from all the other people's people on the face of the earth? And the Lord said to Moses, I will do the very thing you have asked, because I am pleased with you, and I know you by name. Then Moses said, Now show me your glory. And the Lord said, I will cause all my goodness to pass in front of you. And I will proclaim my name, the Lord, in your presence. I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy, and I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion. But, he said, you cannot see my face, for no one may see me and live. Then the Lord said, there is a place near me where you may stand on a rock. When my glory passes by, I will put you in a cleft in the rock and cover you with my hand until I have passed by. Then I will remove my hand, and you will see my back but my face must not be seen.
turning then to our New Testament lesson. This is 1 John uh, chapter 2, verses 18 through 27. As John continues his letter, he writes, Dear children, this is the last hour. And as you have heard that the Antichrist is coming, even now many Antichrists have come. This is how we know it is the last hour. They went out from us, but they did not really belong to us. For if they had belonged to us, they would have remained with us. But their going showed that none of them belonged to us. But you have an anointing from the Holy One, and all of you know the truth. I do not write to you because you do not know the truth, but because you do know it, and because no lie comes from the truth. Who is the liar? It is whoever denies that Jesus is the Christ. Such a person is the Antichrist, denying the Father and the Son. No one who denies the Son has the Father. Whoever acknowledges the Son has the Father also. As for you, see that what you have heard from the beginning remains in you. If it does, you also will remain in the Son and in the Father. And this is what he promised us, eternal life. I am writing these things to you about those who are trying to lead you astray. As for you, the anointing you received from him remains in you, and you do not need anyone to teach you. But as his anointing teaches you about all things, and as that anointing is real, not counterfeit, just as it has taught you, remain in him. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, as I mentioned earlier, um, yesterday was the 4th of July, also known as Independence Day, and um, I wanted to read to you a prayer that was prayed in the Senate by the chaplain of the Senate in 1947, a man by the name of Peter Marshall. If you don't know about him, you ought to, (laughs) but... uh, he prayed this prayer on, in 1947 on July 3rd, on the eve of Independence Day, 1947. Here's what he prayed. God of our fathers, whose almighty hand hath made and preserved our nation, grant that our people may understand what it is they celebrate tomorrow. May they remember how bitterly our freedom was won, the down payment that was made for it, the installments that have been made since this republic was born, and the price that must yet be paid for our liberty. May freedom be seen not as the right to do as we please, but as the opportunity to please to do what is right. May it ever be understood that our liberty is under God and can be found nowhere else. May our faith be something that is not merely stamped upon our coins, but expressed in our lives. Let us as a nation not be afraid of standing alone for the rights of men. Since we were born that way, as the only nation on earth that came into being for the glory of God and the advancement of the Christian faith. We know that we shall be true to the pilgrim dream when we are true to the God they worshipped. To the extent that America honors thee, wilt thou bless America and keep her true as thou hast kept her free. And make her good as thou hast made her rich. Amen. This is the prayer that was prayed um, 
on the eve of Independence Day, 1947. And uh, one of the reasons I share it with you this morning is, uh, one, because it's a prayer, and one of the things that we are looking at in uh, our sermon text for today is, and what we've been looking at, is the prayer that Jesus prays on the evening before he goes to the cross. And so these two prayers, uh, the one that Jesus prays on the eve uh, before he goes to the cross, and the one that is prayed by Peter Marshall on the eve of Independence Day, 1947, I think there's some correlations. One of the thing, one of the things about it, though, is that if you were paying attention and listening carefully to that prayer, uh, one of the things that uh, Peter Marshall prays in there uh, is a quote that's been flying around lately online. Uh, May freedom be seen not as the right to do as we please, but as the opportunity to please to do what is right. In other words, uh, Peter Marshall understood that there's a distinction between being free from something and being free for something. And he's saying, may we understand that it's not just about being free from something, but that it's also that we are free for something, free to do uh, that which is right. And so uh, in that, anytime, anytime you hear somebody saying, you know, it's a free country, I can do what I want, that's a person who clearly understands that we're free from something. But they don't at all yet understand that we are free for something. And that is uh, free to do what is good and what is right. Um, and this is the connection then with what it is that Jesus is praying for his disciples. What we're going to be looking at in John 17 is the reasons that Jesus is praying for them. And the things that he wants for them are for a purpose. And so for the same reason, you know, that Peter Marshall's praying, you know, about freedom, that is for a purpose. Just like that we have been, uh, it is for freedom that Christ has set us free, and yet we're not to use our freedom as a cover-up for evil, as it says. And so there are purposes for the things uh, that Jesus uh, prays for us. That's what we're going to be looking at this morning. This is um, John 17. I think I got the wrong verses in there. John 17, verses 20 through 26. Um, There we go. Jesus has just finished praying for himself and for his disciples who are there present in the room. And then he concludes his prayer this way. This is the last thing he says while he's with his disciples before he goes uh, to be arrested. He says, My prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message, that all of them may be one, Father, just as you are in me and I am in you. May they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. I have given them the glory that you gave me, that they may be one as we are one, I in them and you in me, so that they may be brought to complete unity. Then the world will know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. Father, I want those you have given me to be with me where I am and to see my glory, the glory you have given me because you loved me before the creation of the world. Righteous Father, though the world does not know you, I know you. 
and they know that you have sent me. I have made you known to them and will continue to make you known in order that the love you have for me may be in them and that I myself may be in them. So do you hear it? Do you hear what Jesus is praying for? And not just for the disciples who are in that room, but he says, this is not just for them. This is actually for everyone who's going to believe in me through them. In other words, these disciples are going to go on from here and they're going to continue to share the message about me. And as they share this message, there'll be others who believe. And then those will go out and they will share it with others and there'll be others who believe. And that chain comes all the way down to El Dorado, Texas in the year 2020. That we have... We are those who have believed through a chain of people that goes all the way back. Somebody shared this message with you, and somebody had shared it with them. And so when Jesus is praying this prayer, he's praying it for all of the people who have come to believe in him from then on. So what is it that he's praying for them, or shall I say, for us? Well, you might have noticed because it comes through quite a few times in here, that he's praying for unity. That's what he wants for uh, his disciples, is that they would be united as one. More on that later. And then why is it that he's praying for unity for them? Because this comes through several times as well. There's a purpose actually for this unity. And it is as a witness to who Jesus is as he reveals God the Father. This is the purpose for this unity. And so uh, we're going to go through and see this several times, and there's actually, at the end, one further reason for all of this. But let's look at it a little bit closer. First of all, he says, My prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message, that all of them may be one, Father just as you are in me and I am in you. May they also be in us so that the world may believe that you sent me. Do you hear this? This prayer for unity so that the world may believe? Well, what kind of unity is this? This is not a superficial unity. This is not the unity that uh, comes when you have a bunch of people who just kind of like the same things. This isn't the unity that comes when people have certain uh, traits in common or interests in common. You can have a lot of clubs about those kinds of things, and you can get along great with people for those reasons, and that is not what Jesus is talking about. Look at this again. When he says that all of them may be one, Father, just as you are in me and I am in you, may they also be in us. Do you hear this? This is not a superficial unity. This is a real and true unity that goes all the way down. This is actually a unity that supersedes all the differences that we have when we don't like the same stuff. When we do have different tastes in all kinds of ways. When we do look differently than each other. This is the unity that cuts through all of that and goes so much deeper. This is the unity that is uh, the same kind of unity as 
the Heavenly Father, God the Father and God the Son. That kind of unity. And then he says, may they also be in us. Hopefully, this kind of calls you back and you remember the things that Jesus was saying in John chapter 15 when he says things like, I am the vine, you are the branches, right? And he talks about how if a branch is removed from the vine, it just dries and withers up. And that's it. But if it remains in the vine, it bears much fruit. This unity that he's praying for is this connection with the vine. If you are connected with the vine, if you are connected with the vine, if I am connected with the vine, then guess what we have? (laughs) We have a unity that goes deep and, in fact, will produce the same kind of fruit. And the fruit in this case is what? That the world may believe. And think about that. Think about what it would mean if you have people who see things uh, and have very different tastes on all kinds of things, who have very different opinions on all kinds of things, and yet they are gathered together as one, and they are all actually connected at a deep level who are working for the same purpose. And the world sees that and they go, well, okay, there's something, something's going on there. I mean, that's just weird, right? (laughs) And that's what Jesus is saying. That yes, it is weird. This is not how the world works. And so when the world sees this, it will stand out as weird, but it'll stand out not as a weird, icky kind of thing. It'll stand out as a weird, uh, like the city on the hill or like the light that you put on a stand. It will be that which actually shows what is true and right and good in a way that the division of the rest of the world does not. This is what Jesus is praying for, not just for the disciples back then, but for us even now, that we would know this kind of uh, deeply connected unity, a unity that is um, because of actually one thing that we do have in common. And it's not our interests or opinions. It's our common need of the vine. It's our common need of a Savior. It's our recognition that no matter how great our opinions are, no matter how amazing the things that we do are, we cannot save ourselves. That is what we have in common. And so the unity we have is a unity of humility, a unity of all of us at the foot of the cross together saying, I need Jesus. This is the unity that we have. And this is the reason why it cuts across all those other things. Because we do have this need in common. And it is, uh, well, let's go further. Chapter, or verse 22. Jesus has been talking about glory. We've mentioned that uh, in previous weeks of that weightiness, uh, the significance, the importance of uh, God is the glory and revealing that of the importance of him. Verse 22, Jesus says, I have given them the glory that you gave me. Why? That they may be one as we are one. You hear it still? I in them and you in me, so that they may be brought to complete unity. 
In other words, even as Jesus is revealing uh, who God the Father is, in everything that he does, everything that he says, he's revealing God the Father to people who just can't quite get it, who just don't see it. And so Jesus is revealing God the Father to everyone in the clearest ways possible. And he says, the reason I've been doing that is so that they would all be united together, understanding who they are as the people who have been uh, created by you and who need to be redeemed by you. So I pray I've given them this and glory that they may be one and may be brought to complete unity. Why? End of verse 23. Then the world will know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. Hang on to that last bit. We'll come back to that. Verse 24. Father, I want those you have given me to be with me where I am and to see my glory, the glory you have given me because you loved me before the creation of the world. And what is this about? It's that unity again. I want... I want them to be with me where I am. I want them to see my glory. In other words, the glory that he's already given was for the purpose of unity. And then he says, but that unity between them, I also, that needs to be a unity with me. And as they're united with me, guess what happens? More glory is revealed. They see more clearly who you are, Father. And when that happens, guess what's going to happen with them? More unity. (laughs) So glory, unity, And it's kind of this whole cycle that just continues. The more we uh, are connected with Jesus, the more we understand who the Father is. The more we understand who the Father is, the more we become connected to Jesus and to each other. Verse 25. Righteous Father. Oh, and this is the reason for this unity and glory cycle. Verse 25. Righteous Father, though the world does not know you, I know you, and they know that you have sent me. I have made you known to them and will continue to make you known in order that the love you have for me may be in them and that I myself may be in them. Do you hear it? It it just keeps coming back, doesn't it? What he's saying again is that the reason for that unity, the reason for that whole cycle of glory and unity is so that the world will know God, who he really is. And he says, I have made you known to them and will continue to make you known. This is what it's all about. And if you remember from the very beginning, uh, we've talked about this lots of times, that this is the story of the whole Bible, that you have uh, in Genesis early on, you've got God with his people. And there is a unity there. God and his people together. And then there's a breakdown. And at the, but at the end of the Bible, you have in Revelation, God and his people together again. United again, the way that it's supposed to be. But in the middle, and this is what the whole of human history really uh, comes down to, is the broken down relationship where there's not unity where there is brokenness, where there is division between us and our creator, between us and the rest of his creation, between us and each other. 
This is what Jesus came to heal. This is what Jesus is praying will happen. That as he goes to the cross on the next day, it wouldn't just be another person dying. That this really is God the Father sending God the Son to die for us. Taking our sin upon him and dying for us. Here's the other part that I kept saying we're going to come back to. It's time to come back to it. This is the word love. We've already talked about the word unity. The word love is another one that is popular in today's culture. And yes, the Bible also means something different than our (laughs) current culture means by it. Verse 25, it says, that Then the world will know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. Verse 24, uh, it says, Because you loved me before the creation of the world. Verse 26, I will continue to make you known in order that the love you have for me may be in them that I myself may, and that I myself may be in them. Do you hear love coming through again and again? But in the same way that unity that it speaks of is not the superficial unity that uh, in today's culture we try to kind of patch over our differences. We'll just pretend like everything's okay. The unity this speaks of is a much, much deeper unity, a unity um, of our connection with God and with each other at a deep level, a unity of purpose in everything that we do. In the same way, when Jesus talks about love here, it's not a superficial love. It's not the way our culture talks about um, it in terms of feelings, but it talks about it in terms of action. In fact, it's sacrificial action for the good of the other. That's what it's talking about. Uh, in First John, it says, This is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. This is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. This is why Jesus is going to the cross the next day. It's the sacrifice for our good. This is love. And this is what Jesus is praying for his disciples, those uh, back then and those now and all the disciples in between. That there would be a unity between us and God. And not only there would be a unity between us and God, there would be a unity between us and each other. And that this unity would be that which is born, of course, of humility, of our relationship with him and our knowledge and our acceptance of him as a savior. But that it also leads to genuine love. The love that God has for us, understanding the depth of that. And that that love then affects how we act toward each other. Not how we feel toward each other, though it might do that too, (laughs) but how we actually act toward each other in sacrificing for the good of others. 
This is what uh, Jesus is praying for. This is the last thing that he prays for before he goes to the cross the next day. Today, it started by uh, reading the prayer by Peter Marshall. As we look back at what he said and how he um, was reminding people what freedom is for, that it is actually for a purpose. I was praying that we wouldn't forget that. Today, after reading this prayer, we are actually going to celebrate the Lord's Supper, or as we call it, communion. And it is a way that we remember what Jesus' mission was about, what his death and resurrection are for. It's not just a freedom from something. As though now we don't have to uh, worry about going to hell when we die. Though that's true. But it's a freedom for something. A freedom for being genuinely, genuinely united with our creator. Genuinely united with our redeemer. Genuinely uh, united with all his people as we stay connected to him. Today, as we participate in communion, this is one of the things we are doing, is reaffirming that connection to the vine, the life in him, the unity in him, and recommitting ourselves to a love like his. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Heavenly Father, we do thank you for this day that you have made, and God, we do um, thank you for the freedom that we have, the freedom that we have in this nation to proclaim your name uh, openly, publicly. Lord, we thank you for the freedom that we have in Christ. Lord, we pray that you would help us. Help us to remember the freedoms that we do have. And let us celebrate the things that we are free from. But Lord, help us participate in the things that we are free for. Lord, unite us. Unite us as your people. Unite us together with you in not superficial unity, but in true true, deep, um, genuine unity. And Lord, help us to understand more the kind of love that you have for us. Lord, that we would worship you more as we know you more. And God, that that we would love as you have loved us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.